Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Here's your host, James Christopher. And thank you again for joining Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher, and we have a very different show for you today. Many of the segments that you all have enjoyed for episodes one, two, three, and four, we're not going to have this week. The show will always maintain that its main focus is the non-MLB levels of the sport, with a focus on the MILB, independent baseball, and collegiate summer league baseball, as well as some college sprinkled in here or there. But as I sit down and record this on March 18th, we realize that the Major League Baseball season is beginning very, very soon, sooner than it's ever started. Our first game will be at 4 in the morning on March 20th between the Athletics of Oakland and the Mariners of Seattle. So we decided that we would have one episode with more of a focus on the MLB. And so myself, my collaborators, Timothy Jedget, Scott McIntyre, as well as some other as well as some other contributors are going to hop on and give our picks for the 2019 season. But minor league baseball is never far from our heart, never far from our mission. Our first main segment coming up will be our interview with Benjamin Hill. We're going to do our interview of the week first before we get to the predictions. So we can't wait to talk to Ben about what it's like to cover minor league baseball. He does so much to bring a full awareness of the sport to everybody in the U.S., and so he's a must-follow on Twitter. And what's sort of happening right now as I'm sitting here talking to you is that the some of the new team names for the Copa de la Diversión, the fun cup that minor league baseball puts on every year, are being announced. And uh, the Durham Bulls have just released that they will play for three games this season as the Mal de Ojo. And it's, uh, according to legend, it's a curse believed to be cast by a glare having the ability to cause bad luck or misfortune. What's not a sign of misfortune are how sweet these jerseys look. The Norfolk Tide will be playing as the Parajitos de Norfolk, which means baby bird. And they will, again, super, super sweet uniforms. So check those out. I think Ben's been retweeting some stuff when you follow him later. But it's super cool that they've expanded that. And, and you know, we'll be talking about that through the season. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So we're very excited to have our feature interview of the week, Mr. Ben Hill. Ben is a writer for MILB.com. Generally, when we do this, we will have our interview send us a bio and that's how we'll create the introduction we really want to make sure that whatever info information they want out gets out and ben being a clever guy sent us one that's a little funny so we thought we would just read it straight from what he emailed to us <clears throat> ben hill scorpio began writing for milb in 2005 he covers the business and culture of minor league baseball, a beat that includes ballparks, food, promotions, mascots, and just about anything else to do with how teams operate. Between 2010 and 2018, Ben visited every minor league ballpark as well as a bunch of now defunct ones, and he'll keep at it at 2019 and quite possibly beyond. So Ben, thanks for joining Let's Get To. 
All right. So let's start from the beginning. How'd you get interested in baseball? And then how did you end up being a writer for MILB.com? Uh, well, yeah, going back to the very beginning, I've essentially always been a baseball fan. I don't have like one of those memories where I remember like this is the moment I became a baseball fan. Um, I was just always into it. <laughs> um, grew up in the Philadelphia area. Uh, Phillies fan. Mike Schmidt was my first hero. You know, played, you know, Little League and, uh, you know, whistle ball on the street and home run derby and was obsessed with baseball cards. Uh, you know, those tops, you know, mid to late eighties, especially listening to Harry Callis on the radio with, you know, Richie Ashburn, Andy Musser. Um, it was just like kind of woven through my life. And, uh, you know, my dad liked baseball. Other people in my life liked baseball, but I didn't have to be brought on board to liking baseball. I don't really remember not liking it. It was just something in my, some corny, something in my soul just <laughs> responded to it. And, uh, so never not a fan. I don't think there's anything corny about how anybody finds their way to this game. You know, my first pictures of me in Astros gear before I had the choice to put Astros gear on. But you've taken an interesting approach because you write exclusively about minor league baseball. How did that come about? Yeah, so what I do is I it's the business I call it the business and culture of minor league baseball, essentially covering how these 160 teams operate, you know, you know, collectively as an as an industry and then also, you know, individually and what makes each one unique. So it's uh you know, there's also a large element of, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball. And, you know, that's something that came about over a long period of years for me. I didn't set out to be a baseball writer, let alone a minor league baseball writer. Yeah, so in 2005, I got a job through a friend of mine uh, just writing game recaps part-time, hourly basis, night shift, uh, you know, for MILB.com. It was then called MinorLeagueBaseball.com. And at the time, I was you know, I'd worked in the education field for a number of years, and I'd been temping after that, and I was still kind of flailing about uh, in my mid to later 20s, just trying to figure out what my actual career was. So when I, when I got this opportunity, I looked at it as just kind of one more thing. Oh, that's cool. I've always liked baseball. I can write about baseball. Um, but I didn't go into the job thinking, like, here's my new career, minor league baseball writer. But that was my foot in the door in 2005. And from there, it was a process of kind of one thing leading to another, you know, like a lot of career paths. And it did help me that I started writing for the site in its first year because that had never existed before, a website encompassing all of minor league baseball. So, you know, sort of unbeknownst to me at the time, um, you know, I was entering into a kind of wide open space where there was no real precedent for doing things. And the niche I eventually came to embody was not something that was preemptively planned for, but then retroactively it was realized it was really important, which is how the teams operate. Because as you know, um, you know, if you work in minor league baseball, you're working in the entertainment industry essentially because every on-field decision is is made by the parent club, by the major league affiliate. So if you work in minor league front offices, it's a very different dynamic uh, where you're just trying to get people in the stands and making it all things to all people as much as possible. And baseball is the backdrop just for a larger entertainment experience. So I started writing about promotions, not knowing all that at the time. But in 2006, I just started working during the day because I didn't want to work at night. No one really knew what they were doing, and they were like, yeah, you can work during the day. And I got asked to write a promo column uh, that an editor had been doing that he didn't have time for, and I liked making jokes um, just about <laughs> minor league promos and, and doing more research and kind of you know just being like, okay, whatever, like Eric Estrada is going to be at a ballpark and just you know then researching chips a little bit, whatever. Like I just enjoyed the column. I could make jokes. I could learn about pop culture, and that led to um, – hearing from people in the industry being one saying, Hey, we should, you should maybe feature our team because we have this coming up and two just saying, this is great because, um, you know, we are always interested in what other teams are doing and 
you know, we don't really have a way to find out during the season. And, uh, you know, because in minor league baseball, there's no competition. Every team's in its own market. There's competition right. to, to one-up one another promotionally, but not competition in terms of, like, vying for that entertainment dollar. So the industry has an idea-sharing mentality, and there's even a postseason, you know, in September after the minor league season is over, a postseason event uh, where the industry gets together is called the promo seminar, and they, they share ideas. But what I was doing, unbeknownst to to myself at the time, was uh, you know providing this service for the industry. So that's kind of what led to this niche, is uh, is writing that promo column and realizing that I had kind of a new lane that I could stay in uh, that I liked because it was all about the goofy things teams were doing. I had a little bit of a background in comedy at that point. I've been performing sketch comedy, and uh, I just was like, you know, always joke oriented. And suddenly I had something that combined baseball and comedy. And I was like, Whoa, I wasn't planning for this, but this is very much my wheelhouse. And, uh, yeah, started the blog the next year, Ben's biz blog, just to expand on this, uh, you know, this niche that I was, uh, cultivating and took me until 2009 to get full time. And then 2010, um, I was full time. And I said, you know, if I'm going to be an expert on this industry, I kind of need to go to the places. So then I started traveling in 2010 and been doing that all the way through 2018 or now going into 2019. And last year I've uh, finally hit a milestone where I've been to every active minor league ballpark and uh, 174 overall. So it's kind of a rambling response, but it's kind of a hard job to explain because it hadn't really existed beforehand and it took a long time to develop. And here we are. It's not a rambling answer at all. I think it's awesome. I always hear lots of people brag about having seen, you know, all 30 major league ballparks. And that's not that as big an accomplishment to me because you can fly to all those places. It's easier to get to. But you've been to all 159, at least at the end of 2018 season, all 159 active minor league parks. And it took you about what? From you said from 2010 to 2018? Yeah, I had done some, you know, some local reporting during my part-time years but i don't really count that toward the final the, the official total but yeah 2010 first year i was full-time first year i kind of went on road trips as part of my full-time job um although so 2010 to 2018 those nine seasons i kind of systematically hit uh all 159 active ballparks 174 total including the defunct ones and there's many ballparks i've been to two or three times so you know hundreds you know maybe about 300 standalone visits overall over those nine seasons one of the things I'm fascinated about, and I know that the question might come off a little cheesy, but what did you learn about America in your travels through minor league baseball? Well, you know, one of the kind of theses I developed early on when I kind of realized I had a almost inadvertent career out of all this, um, you know, was just the general principle or, uh, you know, operating statement of, um, you know, every team, every minor league team is a reflection of the community in which it operates. Therefore, these 160 teams are a reflection of America. You know, therefore, ergo, uh, what what better way to explore America than through minor league baseball? So that kind of became kind of a a mission statement for me of, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball. And, you know, it's tough to say what you learn about America per se because America is a big, confusing, weird, diverse country, and so is minor league baseball. So you learn a lot, but but in that kind of haphazard, all-over-the-place way, but that's what I like about it, Um, in that – you know, under the umbrella of minor league baseball, you can go to the Appy League and hit up Johnson City and Kingsport and, you know, Bluefield and Bristol. Um, or you can be, you know, hitting some Pacific Coast League teams and seeing Memphis and Nashville and Las Vegas and El Paso. And, and, and that's minor league baseball, too. So you get to see big cities, small towns, everything in between and uh, learn a lot uh, about 
the culture through minor league baseball. And obviously the best way to do that is through visiting, but just by following minor league baseball, you learn so much about America um, just through the team names and the, or the one, you know, or the various rebrand, you know, food related rebrandings or just who they celebrate in a pop culture promo or whatever the sure, case may sure. be. Um, I know so much more about America than I ever would have before, no matter how much I otherwise would have read or explored. Um, I've learned so much through minor league baseball, and I like to share that knowledge, and I like talking to other people who have that, you know, similar interests along those lines of just, you know, getting real deep into America, Americana, and just, you know, who we are as a country. It's a weird place. I love it. What were some of the favorite parks you visited? Did any of them kind of stick out? Yeah, I mean, that's the number one question I get, and it's a hard one to answer just because of the aforementioned diversity in the landscape and sure, you know, yeah. and the kind of apples and oranges component of you know, comparing a rookie-level Appalachian League team or Pioneer League team to, to a AAA team in a quasi-major league market. Um, so last year, when I finally hit the milestone, I did a you know level-by-level level breakdown of favorite things throughout minor league baseball. So um, a total favorite is hard to say, but uh, you know, Double A, Reading Fight and Fills uh, are very much in the discussion. Triple uh, mm-hmm. A, El Paso Chihuahuas, really like that ballpark, Southwest University Field. That one is so high on my bucket list because you know I haven't been out there, and I know you have people think, well, you're in Texas, why haven't you gone to El Paso? But you know, if you haven't been to Texas, going to El Paso is no easy feat. It's a nine-hour drive, so it's definitely, definitely high on my bucket list. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It opened in 2014. It's essentially on the border, and you know, I I'm from New York City. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I, of course, I knew what a border town was, but that was the first time I was in a border town, and and I felt like a rube, kind of being at the ballpark and being like, "Whoa! Like Mexico is right there. It's right behind <laughs> the ballpark. Like Juarez yeah. is right there." And you know, a lot of the game day staff comes from Mexico, uh, you know, and uh, from Juarez, and, and the food is really reflective of the Mexican culture. And there's just like a real, uh, you know, cross border sensibility to the ballpark and its architecture and its feel. And, Anyway, yeah, so I like that one a lot. But, you know, Asheville, McCormick Field in uh, Asheville, uh, North Carolina, the Asheville Tourists, you know, ballpark mm-hmm. that's essentially 100 years old right now. Um, just, you know, such a classic throwback vibe, uh, you know, with the kind of hills looming beyond it and uh, just, uh, you know, Babe Ruth played there in exhibition games. Just, you know, I love the, class, oh, wow. the classics like that as well. I mean, generally in my heart of hearts, in my fans' heart, I kind of like older, weirder places. Uh, more than new places, because new places need a little time, you know, to really develop a personality. Well, in my expert opinion of having visited 14, I really like the park, uh, the Columbus Clippers. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I've only been there once. I think it was 2014 or 2015, maybe. But uh, that's a beautiful one when you're talking about AAA downtown parks, for sure. It's a beautiful one and really cool way they incorporate a lot of the, you know, the, ar- the surrounding ar- architecture and surrounding buildings into the ballpark itself. You know, it's my big hope once San Antonio Missions moved to AAA that they would eventually move into a new park and really incorporate what is, I think, is a great downtown. Yeah, that's the hope. I know there's been a lot of chatter about that. But, um, yeah, for them to be long-term viable at AAA, I do believe yeah, that they will need to, <laughs> to, get, to get to a new ballpark. So one of the interesting things about your travels is that you have to use a designated eater. And I'm hoping that that takes on a lot less controversy than a designated hitter. But can you tell us what is a designated eater and how does that work? Yeah, well, in 2012, which is my third year of ballpark travel, uh, ended up getting diagnosed with celiac disease. And it was a diagnosis that really came out of nowhere for me. It's a 
you know, long story, <laughs> long tangent, not to, I can't really get down now, but bottom line, I had celiac disease. And, um, you know, if you have celiac disease, there's no cure per se. You just have to have a gluten-free diet, which means no wheat, rye, or barley. And, uh, you know, one of my first thoughts when I was processing this new reality of mine, I was like, well, wait a second. You know, if I'm covering this, you know, the culture of minor league baseball, food's such a big part of it. Um, and a lot of it has gluten, you know, anything breaded and fried, anything on a bun. And I was, and, and up until that point, I'd usually just done food stuff myself. You know, I've always been kind of a ramshackle one man operation, especially in those early days. So I just like ask a team employee to like take a picture of me in the hot dog or something. Anyway, that was all out now. You know, I couldn't do that uh, being gluten free. So it just kind of came to me like almost immediately, like just from on high, <laughs> you know, uh, right, right. designated eater. And, uh, you know, that'll be the person I recruited every ballpark to eat the ballpark cuisine, cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits. So, um, you know, it's evolved over the years in terms of how I recruit people and kind of how I deal with that material, with that content. But, um, in various forms since late 2012, I've in mo- more often than not, I've had a designated eater at the ballpark who was a fan usually someone who reads my stuff and has gotten in touch with me beforehand when I'm kind of recruiting these people online and through my blog, um, you know, who shows up at the ballpark and gets, you know, a free meal, a big, large free meal. And I, you know, take pictures and short video of them uh, enjoying the food and get some quotes. And that's my food content uh, is uh, through the eyes of the designated eater or through the stomachs, I suppose, of the designated eater. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a longstanding facet of my, uh, of my one-man ramshackle operation. You know, and obviously, you know, gluten-free diets and awareness of celiac is becoming a lot more commonplace. Have you seen more parks kind of incorporate that into their menu? Uh, yes, not not some like, you know, gluten-free overload or anything. I think when you're dealing with new parks, they are obviously have more concession areas than older parks. They have more points of sale. They are designed with having as many options in mind as possible. So, you know, general rule of thumb is the new, newer the ballpark, the the more options there might be. Um, but it, it can still be tough. And even when a team, you know, has like a gluten-free hot dog, it's it can kind of be a pain because that just means the, the hot dog's gluten-free. So your choice becomes like, do you want a hot dog without the bun or do you want to order the gluten-free hot dog and have someone go to the back and take out a pack of, you know, gluten-free buns that have been sitting there and wait an extra five minutes for it to get like right, all ready right. to go. It can be a, a pain. Um, so for me, what I advocate, advocate the most is like just naturally gluten-free food that is good. And for me, that's like nachos. Not every nacho dish is gluten-free, but nachos inherently should be gluten-free if you're talking about tortilla chips, cheese, fresh ingredients. So, you know, I was always a proponent of nachos, but now even more so because I feel like more so, have, yeah. If you have fresh nachos, you know, maybe some of the, you know, the kind of processed cheese, that might not be gluten-free, but you know, go with the nachos. That's that's my thing. And uh, but anything a team can do. Some of them have concession maps on their websites. Um, you know, that list where you can find different things and different you know things that if you have a certain allergen, you know, where you can have that accommodated. Teams want to be as accommodating as possible, not just in the food realm, but for for everybody because it's about as you know maximizing the number of people who want to go to your games. So. Uh, if you can accommodate, they will. You know, it's interesting because the Hartford Yard Goats just recently banned peanuts in their new park. And my hope is that that's just another step of realizing that there are actual eating issues that are actually dangerous and are just sort of preferential. 
Yeah, I mean the the Hartford Peanut one got a ton of attention. I wrote wrote, wrote a story about that recently, and you know, the, for two reasons. One, I mean, um, you know, there's a few things more iconic than peanuts and cracker jacks. So you're talking about a team <laughs> in, a, in a new ballpark that offers over 200 concession items, and the two they ban are peanuts and cracker jacks. So it's just kind of like, you know, that, that got people's attention. And then I was talking to the, you know, some team, you know, the GM and the team president, and they were saying, you know, peanuts are the collateral damage in this larger cultural argument, where by banning peanuts, a lot of people are angry because it speaks to the wussification of America and the way we're coddling our children and, you know, snowflakes and, uh, yeah. you know, what about personal responsibility? And I think those people are completely missing the point because they ban peanuts specifically not to, you know, coddle these weaklings who can't take personal responsibility, but because one, it's, it's mostly kids. This is, these are allergies, you know, they're most prevalent in kids. And two, the, the reactions can be very severe, even as extreme as death and it can be airborne. And, you know, so people eat peanuts and the shells are all over the place and it can be airborne. So it can be much more of a risk. Um, I'm not advocating every team ban peanuts, but there's true logic behind that decision. And it's kind of fun to see, I don't want to say the idiots, but some pretty idiotic people get all mad when they don't know what they're talking about. You can have an opinion, but at least try to understand first before having an opinion. But that's the internet in general. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the internet in general, and you know, we've we've sort of tell people they can have an opinion, and and I guess you can, but sometimes your opinion can be stupid, and I think in this case it might be. And you know, I'm also a teacher, and you know. A peanut allergy is a real thing that can really, like you said, cause real major medical issues almost immediately with a very, very small amount. Right, right. And it's not, you know, a lot of people got on the whole slippery slope thing. Well, it's peanuts now. First, they come for the peanuts. But what's, <laughs> what's next? Then they're going to come for the buns because of gluten-free people. Then they'll come for the ice cream because of the people who can't have dairy. And it's not like that. Peanuts... You know, I'm not going to die if gluten is in my proximity, if a bunch of grounds get, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm ranting. Yeah. It, it just, it's just two different things. But I love that story because it got a big debate, and uh, that's what we want, especially during the offseason. So the minor, se- the minor league season starts in about two weeks. How are you going to cover 2019? Are you going to still be doing your park tours? Will be there a few different angles? Uh, well, yes to both of those things. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep visiting ballparks. But, you know, I, I don't have the specifics nailed down, but I'm going to change some elements of my coverage. Um, and a lot of that is tied to finally having hit every single affiliated ballpark. I feel like my work has evolved since 2010, but I kind of did things in roughly the same way because I was kind of building towards this goal of having been everywhere, been everywhere. So now that I've done that, um, I think it's a good time to reassess and reevaluate and so I'm, I will do things a little differently. And in terms of the um, the trips themselves, there's three new ballparks in 2019. So technically, I haven't been everywhere yet. <laughs> you know, once, <laughs> right, once, right. Once, once the calendar. So my trips will certainly be based around the new ballparks, which is uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, home of the Woodpeckers. Uh, I'll be down there in July. All right. I, I don't know when. I'm kind of working out my schedule right now. It might be July. Maybe we'll cross paths. Um, Amarillo, Sod Poodles. I'll be out there in June. Yeah, maybe we'll cross that. <laughs> and uh, the other new, those two are new teams as well as new ballparks. And then the third new ballpark is a pre-existing team, but they changed their name. The Las Vegas 51s are now the Las Vegas Aviators, and they're playing in a new ballpark. And I swear I'm not stalking you, but I'll be out there in August. Uh, it just happens I'm happen to be playing one of my films really close to these parks, so that's kind of why it's uh, ha- it's working out that way. 
Um, but Ben, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. We can't wait to follow you this rest of the season. And just real quick, is there anything that you kind of want people to know or, or anything that we might have left out? Um, I don't think anything too specific. I mean, as hard as it may seem, to, well, as hard as it is for me to believe, it took me 10 years to get verified on Twitter, but that just happened yesterday. So follow me on Twitter. You can you can finally see a blue check mark at Ben's Biz, B-E-N-S-B-I-Z. Uh, we just want to thank Ben for joining us. So definitely check him out. His Twitter link and blog links will be built into the podcast description. So we're not going to have some of our normal segments that Scott and Tim usually provide for us. And instead, we got everybody on the phone, which I'm not going to lie to you, wasn't as easy as it seems, but I think worth it for this segment. So we're going to make our picks for the Major League Baseball season. So yesterday on St. Patrick's Day, Scott, Tim, and I kind of crowded together and got on the phone and tried to get all the microphones lined up so that way we could actually have a real conversation. So here are our picks. Timothy and Scott, how are you guys doing this morning? Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, doing great, buddy. Doing great. We have such a packed show that we're going to jump right into our predictions. I'm very excited to have all the different viewpoints. And and so I want to go division by division. Um, we can start in the AL if you want. We can start in the NL. Uh, Scott, do you have a preference and, and just overall overall thoughts about the two, the two leagues before we get started? I think we start with the AL because the AL this year, to me is easier to pick from because of the 15 teams, you don't have to worry about picking the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Royals, the White Sox, the Rangers, or the Tigers. <laughs> there's one team There's one team in the National League that, that you can pretty much be assured of that they won't be competitive this year, and that's the Giants. And I have gi- friends that are Giants fans, so I don't, you know, I, I say this about all of these teams because if you're a fan of one of these teams, you, you should have faced this fact already before spring training and just know what the year's going to be like. <laughs> But I do know that Stu Clary, our head coach from and our Oakland fan, loves you right now for pointing out that the, he picked him in, a, in his segment to go zero and one hundred and sixty-two. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the uh, but that was the way it was last year too. I, I think up until the bitter end of the of, right before the playoffs, the National League was undecided. Uh, it was much more competitive. Uh, you could have picked the, the American League before last year in the same fashion that you probably pick it this year. Yeah. So should we start? You want to start with the AL? Should we should we start with the AL West? We'll go the other direction than I did with all the ones because I think the only real debate ends up in the AL East. So uh, we'll start with Tim. Who do you got in the AL West? I mean, I guess it's kind of a predictable pick. Um, I have actually, I have um, the Astros winning the division, strongest team there. Can I put my wild card in it? We'll do wild cards at the okay, when we get okay. to Yeah. So, Scott, who do you have in the AL West? The Astros, top to bottom, every day, starters, relievers. I think that it's, a, it's the most complete team easily in the West. Uh, I think they'll repeat in, as division champs. Okay, and I also have the Astros. Again, not an Astros podcast. That's not an Astros podcast. <laughs> uh, and then we will also go to, I think, the uh, another – Easy predict, easy to predict division. A division that doesn't seem like anybody wants to win. Scott, who do you have in the American League Central? I think the Indians will win the division, but it's not because they improved over last year. It's simply because everyone else is that much worse. However, I think it's going to be a more competitive division than people think because of one team. Oh, but we'll get to those in the wild card picks. Well, actually, I'm going to th- so. Go ahead, Tim. I'm, I'm going to throw something out there that 
I, I think it is the Indians, but there's something in the back of my head that says that that the 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 White Sox might give them a run for their money. Okay, so that's just me, but. I don't necessarily agree with the White Sox being totally out of the game before the season started. Well, one thing so. I haven't one thing I haven't told us is I'm putting up one hundred dollars to the winner of whichever one of us comes the closest. Oh wow! And I'm assigning a point value towards picks. <laughs> and so to make sure that keeps us interesting, I'm going to pick the Twins to win the American League Central okay. to bounce back because in a lot of ways um, they feel like. You know, they feel like the Astros were in 15 to 17, right? Like mm-hmm. they were in the wild card in 17. Then they played well last year but didn't make the playoffs. I kind of feel like they might rise up and, and win the division this year. What they're doing also feels like a lot of where the Braves wound up last year in the way that the sure. Twins are moving. So I, I can draw that correlation as well. Okay, great. Now the, I think the hardest single division to pick in baseball, the American League East. Tim? Well, um, I think I think it's I think it's the Red Sox again. I think the Red Sox are the team that's the scariest uh, in in baseball again. I, I they're they're Alex Cora is a, to prove to be a good skipper, and I think that he's going to bring that bring that team back to winning the the AL East. He's a traitor. Yeah. Well, Scott, I think the Red Sox win the division, but a lot of that's because I don't think the Yankees are fully healthy with Severiano um, out. The first, probably the first couple of months of the season, I think the Red Sox are, are going to benefit from that. I think the Yankees also kind of have some some turning over the engine problems and getting the car started. Once the car starts, I think they're going to be dangerous. I think the Red Sox win the division. The big question is is how do you replace Craig Kimbrell and hopefully Ryan Brazier, their uh, their their stud AAA closer can translate that over to the major leagues. But to me, the back end is absolutely a question for the Red Sox. But I think they will win the division. Here's the thing is I'm going to go ahead and go with the Yankees because that was my pick before um, the all the, the rash of injuries the Yankees have had. And I do think, to your point, Scott, the back end of that bullpen is probably the one of the best in baseball. Like I think the Astros have the best mix of pitching staff of frontline starters and bullpen. But... Um, I think they probably have enough arms in the bullpen to keep that floating. And I think also to your point, if you're trying to def- to defend a World Series championship, do you want to do it with a rookie closer? And I'm not sure you do. Okay, so now the wild cards. And I think I'm going to go first okay. um, because I have some bold wild card picks. I think both wild cards are coming out of the AL East. I think the I have the Yankees win the division, so I think the Red Sox. Uh, the Yankees win the division, so I think the Red Sox do win the wild card, and I think Tampa Bay gets the other wild card this year. Oh wow! Okay, I I, I think it's that's solid. I, I think it's solid picks. I think there's some logic behind it. <laughs> You're just got, like you said, some logic. Some logic. Yeah. <laughs> we we think you at least thought about this before it started. As much uh, logic as you can put into something in mid March, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can we, can we? Yeah, we're doing this on. It's it, we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day of all things. Like crazy. Okay, so Scott, who do you have for your wild cards? Uh, so my wild cards are the Yankees, and I think the uh, the Twins. I think the Twins are going to take okay. a wild card because of a weak schedule. I, I will say this: if Otani is healthy, I think the Angels get really, really dangerous. Over in the West, uh, so out of the teams I'm not picking to make the postseason, the one team that I, I would say I still have to keep an eye on are, are the Angels. But I think the Yankees and the Twins will be the wild card teams from the AL. Yeah, it's funny, man, because I actually almost had the Angels as my wild card pick, mostly because I kind of like Mike Trout. Like I've kind of developed this 
I know you're not supposed to like him because he's a rival, but I think he's in many ways the kind of baseball player we should be rooting for, and I'd like to see him have some postseason success. But I, I think with Otani, I have a feeling that we're going to be looking at more of a Kerry Wood situation with him as, a, as far as lots of promise and no fulfillment because of how he's been used. Maybe Brad Osmus, who I think is going to be a better manager of the pitching staff than Sosha was, mm-hmm. uh, might, I think, maybe help that kid's career. Because, I mean, look, as much for as much as, you know, obviously you want to win your division, he's I think him being good is good for baseball. But I just hope, I just don't know if we're going to see any, like, long-term, um, really, like, the long-term promise. Of- yeah, but the Angels' window's closing also with everybody else they have on their team. You know, Trout, Pujols, all these guys, they just keep getting older. So if the Angels can't get it back together, um, they're, they're going to lose out on that. I, I just think the Twins get that wild card spot um, because, man, you've got 19 games against the White Sox, the Angels, I'm sorry, the the White Sox, the Royals, uh, the Tigers, and the Indians. And, and, and each one of those teams, not one of those teams scares me at this point in time. And the Twins are moving in the right direction. I think it's a benefit of what division they're playing in more so than the strength of the team. Well, it's why I think the Astros actually win more games this year than last year. And I was talking about this in one of the interviews we have, you know, because uh, the, the the Larry, the GM, we'll give him a proper introduction in a second, but he's going to kind of pop up throughout the season to kind of, he's going to become our psychologist to help people get through a uh, a long baseball season. Because I, I think as we talked about last season, Scott, you know, you are a fan of a town of a team from a baseball town. Tim and I are baseball fans in a in a football state, so they weren't used. So somehow people look at the Astros' season last year as a failure, even though they won, I think, two more games and they set the the franchise record. They're not for they're they're they're, they're they feel that way because it was closer, but not because the Astros were worse, but because the rest of the division was better. I think that division, like Seattle, is is phoning it in. So that's nineteen games against a team that's tanking. The Rangers, like you said, aren't any good. I don't think Oakland A's keep it taped together like they did last year. And maybe the Angels are okay, but the Astros have always played the Angels well. So I think they actually could end up winning 104, 105 games. Well, no, no better thing than to set expectations very high in that football state and watch everybody panic when you only win 100. <laughs> exactly. You're right. Exactly. And that is exactly what's happening here. Yeah. You know. So um, into the the National League. Or- I'm wild card. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, my God. See, look, just like growing up, I forget Tim's here. Tim's like, I got a wild card, man. I got a wild card pick. And now there's $100 in the line. I'm going to try to pick something crazy. Okay. I have the Yankees. I, I think that the Yankees and the Red Sox, it'll be decided between a game, like it was last, pretty much last year. It'll be it'll be them eating up at each other, chewing each other up, and one's going to end up the division leader and one's in a wild card. Okay. Um, but I've got I've – got, this hunch that they're going to do it again, and that pesky little ant from Oakland is going to be there and not go away. I mean, they lost Jed Lowry. They lost Jed Lowry. They lost some players. But I think right. for some reason they're always super annoying, and that's where they'll be. Okay. And actually, before we move into the NL, who are your – Scott, who are your picks to be playing in the ALCS? I think the Yankees take the Twins in the wild card round. I think the Astros beat the Indians in an ALDS series. I think the Yankees, because they're getting stronger at the end of the year, injuries at the beginning of the year re- uh, result in healthy arms at the end of the year. 
because they're rested. I think the Yankees are over the Red Sox in the ALDS, and I say that having grown up as a, a, a big fan of the Red Sox and not of the Yankees. And then the ALCS, I think the Yankees and the Astros face one another. Okay. I have Yankees, Astros in the ALCS as well. I have uh, Astros, Red Sox again. I have a rematch. Okay. I'm good to, see, right, good to cool. see we're all going out on a limb here. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's, Damn, got, nobody's got Twins, Oakland, and the ALCS. <laughs> yeah. I got the Rangers, and somehow the Round Rock Express won enough games to qualify. I love it. Um, that means you're not going to win your $100. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah right. outstanding. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a failure of a bet. I guess I just get to keep $100 if I win. Um, okay, so now we're going to go to the National League, or as people like my father say, the only real baseball league left. <laughs> um, let's go. We'll 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 do we'll do the same. We'll go same west to east again. Um, NL West. Do we have to even discuss it? No, no. Scott, no, Dodgers. I'm guessing it's the Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. Um, now let's go to the National League Central. We're gonna see if you know. We're gonna make Scott. We're gonna make you pick this one last. I'm good with that because <laughs> this is your heart. But I'm picking the Cardinals. I I am picking the Cardinals, and maybe it's because. You know, I love you and I love Gary and, 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 but I just, I feel like the Cardinals work on a cycle and I think it's time for them to cycle back up. I think the Goldschmidt pickup, like Scott, you know, this, I wanted Goldschmidt. I was talking about getting Goldschmidt at the all-star break last year. I, I just knew it was going to happen and felt like a gut punch when he didn't end up an Astro. So I got the Cardinals. Tim? I think it's going to be unanimous. Uh, I also have the Cardinals this year. That's about to go against the grain, Scott. No, um, it, it's the toughest division. It, it is one of the two toughest divisions in baseball. The worst two teams are the Pirates and, and the Reds, and they're very, and they very could, good. they could win the division. The, and yeah, the Reds could, could win the division. They yeah. absolutely could. Uh, the Reds have, have been probably the best team, in my opinion, in the offseason with the moves they've made. Uh, the Cubs and the Brewers, of course, were the two playoff teams from last year, and they're very good. I do think the Cardinals win the division in spite of a questionable bullpen. Starting pitcher for the Cardinals, top to bottom, is very strong. You know, I, I don't I don't talk specifically about, quote-unquote, my team, but uh, Jack Flaherty is absolutely one of the best young pitchers in the game. Uh, he, uh, with Miles Michaelis, who came back from Japan, is a brand-new pitcher and, and is now the ace of the staff. Those two guys are very strong. There, there's probably eight or nine players in the organization that could be starting pitchers, but the question is in the bullpen, even though they picked up Andrew Miller in the offseason. But I still think the Cardinals have enough every day, uh, and Paul DeYoung and Marcelo Zuna, who fought arm injuries last year that resulted in a lack of power, are both healthy this year. The power should come back. I think the Cardinals win the NL Central. Okay, good. And so uh, NL East... Um, I am going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the Nationals. I think, I don't know, I, I, this is the one I wrestled with the most with among three teams. I think it's probably the three teams most people wrestled with, the Phillies and the Braves and the Nationals. The Nationals picked up a lot to improve, to try to, I think, keep Bryce Harper around. And I think that they're going to be just fine uh, without them. So I, I, I really, I think the Nationals win the NL East. I think the uh, I, I think it's the Braves. Um, I have the Braves for the NL East. I was gonna go with the Mets and the team been bringing up Tebow, but uh, I don't think that's gonna happen this year. Um, so no, it's gonna be the Braves this year. I think it's gonna be a, another fought, well fought division. That's gonna be a fun one to watch later when it comes to the dog days and and gets toward toward uh, September. So if if let's say this, let's say they bring up they, they bring up Tebow, 
and and they win it all. Do we have to? Did they? Did they then yell, "The power of Christ compels you"? <laughs> I mean, they all should take a knee. <laughs> uh, the Mets fans will scream that in unison if they win a World Series. They'll say whatever they <laughs> need to. Yeah, that's true. true. Um, and then, who do you have for the NL East? Then, Scott, uh, I'm going with the Natch with the Nationals. Also, I think it's this is the was the most difficult. Uh, division for me to pick as well, Jim, sort of like you. Uh, the Nationals are are very, very good. I don't think the loss of Bryce Harper is going to hurt them because of what they have coming up from the minors. I also agree with Tim. The The team that shocks me the most here that, surprise, that could surprise are the Mets. And the scary part about the Mets, if the Mets can somehow, with the, with the players that they brought in, with the Canos, and if they can get their second half, um, if they can get their guys healthy for the second half, if they come along strong and make the postseason, the Mets have to become a outlier to win it all simply because you got DeGrom and Syndergaard as your one-two pitchers, and that lines up as almost a Kurt Schilling-Randy Johnson situation that willed the Diamondbacks to the title many, many years ago. I would like to point out that the Astros have already raked Syndergaard three times in spring training. <laughs> anyway. I would um, like to point out the spring training results don't matter a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Once again. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Um, for me, for my National League wild cards. I have, let me go to my notes, everybody. I have the Braves and the Phillies in the wild card. Again, you have the uh, the East is your wild card spot. Well, I, I think maybe California falls into the ocean and that's why they're, I don't know. Yeah, okay. there's, yeah. <laughs> okay. I do have, yeah, all four wild cards in the East. It's weird. Tim? <laughs> I, I think the Rockies come okay. into the wild card and uh, the Nationals. Okay. And Scott? Uh, yeah, I'm going with the uh, much despised Cubs and the Braves. I I don't think that Craig Council can can do it again um, with the Brewers and get them to the postseason. I thought his managerial job last year was phenomenal. He pulled all the punches at the right time. That's really hard to do exactly two years in a row to get your your team to the postseason. But um, he's got one of the best players in baseball in Christian Yelich. The Brewers could make it, but I'm going with the Cubs and the Braves as my two wild cards. In the wild card, I think the Braves are over the Cubs. In NLDS, I think the Cardinals are over the Dodgers. I don't. I think the Dodgers are a lot like the Indians, especially with the injuries for, uh, with Kershaw and, and other people. I just don't think the Dodgers make it back again. So I got the Cardinals beating them in the NLDS. The Nationals will beat the Braves in the other NLDS, and that will line up the Nationals and the Cardinals in the NLCS. My picks for the NLCS are: I think it's the Cardinals. And I do think it'll end up being the Dodgers. So Cardinals, Dodgers in the NLCS. I got Cardinals and Braves. Cardinals and Braves. Okay. So now we're going to go to our special guest pickers. And we'll be back. So now that we've left you in some suspense before Tim and Scott and I tell you who's going to win the World Series. We actually have three special guest pickers coming on that from all walks of life. That we'll be hearing from throughout the season. First up is Gary C. Warren. Now, Gary's been a friend of mine for a decade. He works in the TV industry out in LA and has done so for about the last 20 years. He's the executive producer of TLC's Family by the Ton. He is a supervising producer of the monster hit Dr. Pimple Popper, which you can see on TLC. He's worked on a number of reality shows, including My Giant Life, Seven Little Johnstons, Jersey Bell, and Cheer Perfection. His personal favorite is a show that maybe 10 people watch called White Collar Brawlers on the now-dead Esquire Network. 
But Gary's passionate about a lot of stuff. Um, we're going to have him on my movie podcast because this dude cares about movies as much as anybody I know. He's a Star Wars guy. He's a Back to the Future guy. But he's also super passionate about Carl. Um, he's super passionate about baseball, Cardinals baseball in particular. He's passionate about world, uh, about the WWE, heavy metal. But you know, he says heavy metal in his bio. But let's let's be honest. He gets down on some poison better than maybe Brett Michaels gets down on some poison. He lives with his lovely and talented wife Sharon, two cats, a dog. He is the father of a pot-bellied pig named the Pig Lebowski. Gary, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. I just got to tell you how big of a fan I am of this show, everything that you're doing. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot. I think that that you're you're finding an audience and bringing them to minor league baseball, which is something that not a lot of people even think about. And minor league baseball is so beautiful because it's about a love of a game. It's about everything that's awesome, and it's not about money. And I think you're doing a great job of highlighting that. Thanks, man. So uh, I don't want to keep you too long on the phone. <laughs> um, so just talk a little bit about how you got into baseball, and then we are going to jump right into some picks. Uh, you know, I'm a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals fan. Uh, I kind of got that from my grandmother on my mother's side. She was a diehard Cardinals fan. And I, my first memory is watching the 1982 World Series where the Cardinals beat the Brewers. And, you know, watching Ozzie Smith play those crazy moves he would be able to make and the backflip on the way to shortstop. He was like a superhero to me, fell in love with the guy and became a diehard Cardinal fan ever since. So one of the things like that you and I have always had in common was first our our love of baseball and then our friendly rivalry. And as as many people know, and I know that you know, I have sort of adopted the Cardinals as my yes. National League team, and and I'm telling you, if the, if they're in the series without the Astros, I'm getting one of those powder blues, baby. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, I've I've uh, I've decided I will only buy a powder blue Goldschmidt jersey if he signs an extension. Too many times in the past, I <laughs> I go out and I get the jersey, and then the guy leaves. I have a Wayne Gretzky Blues jersey. He only played like 16 games with the Blues. <laughs> oh, no. I have a Ron Gant Cardinals jersey. He was barely around. Uh, so it's like, you know what, I'm waiting. So I only buy the jerseys now if it's like Yachty Molina. You know, he's like with the team forever. Right. Or someone retired like Willie McGee or, you know, Stan Musial or something like that. But if Goldschmidt signs an extension, I'll buy a powder blue Goldschmidt jersey. Well, what I do, man, is I do the blank ones so I can stay flexible. Yeah. Or get one with your own name on it. My own name. I'll be that guy. Yeah, I have a couple of those actually. (laughs) That's right up there with like bringing your own uh, wrestling professional belt to like a wrestling event where it's like, look at me. I'm a champion too. Or you could be Josh Reddick and bring your own championship wrestling belt to the dugout, to the locker room of your baseball team. Anyway, um, we're we're having a weird love-hate relationship with Josh Reddick right now. Um, So let's talk about the season, man. We have a long, wonderful, glorious baseball season. I think the thing I love about the length of the season is that it feels like it's no matter what, I can turn on a ball game. Um, I think it's the best part of it, honestly. Yeah. And you know what, what's great too, I think, and I think, you, you know, probably in, in past Astro seasons, you didn't have that feeling, but now you do because you guys are putting a consistently strong team out every year that anytime you're watching a game, the Astros can win. And anytime, you know, it could be, this is the run they go on that sends them to the playoffs because baseball is just as important in April 
as it is in October. 12 wins in a row in April are just as important as 12 wins right. in a row, you know, into September. So it's always, there's always something great. Now, you know, as we've talked before about if you're a team like, I don't know, Tampa Bay or something, I don't know how you could consistently watch the games when you know they're barely showing up. And they play in um, an abandoned Costco. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do you just watch the game to see the other team that comes to town? <laughs> right. You know, like you're, you're a Red Sox fan. So you go, you know, you watch it then. Um, but for teams like the Cardinals and the Astros and the Dodgers and the Yankees, uh, the Cubs even, you know, where they're like, they're consistently have good games. It's, it's just great for 162 games a year that hopefully want another like nine after that. Right. Right. Um, so speaking of that, speaking of the dance we've done, or we're going to do, if it's September, how do you think we're looking as far as um, to start with the NL East? What do you think about the NL East this year? NL East, I'm going with the Atlanta Braves to take the division. Uh, I think that they are one of the teams of the future. I think they're going to be strong for five, six, seven years now, almost like the, the Braves were in the 90s, except I think this Braves team is actually going to win a few World Series. I think they're not going to win it this year, but I think they're going to go far and they will be in the NLCS this year. I think they're wow. really strong. And I don't think for whatever reason, a lot of people still aren't giving them uh, the credit they're due. But I think that they're going to win the division. And I believe the Nationals will be the second wild card. Okay. Uh, National League Central, the home division of your St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've got my fan glasses on and sometimes you just can't take them off. Uh, I picked the St. Louis Cardinals to win the division, which I think I would anyway. Right. Uh, but I also picked them to win the World Series, but that's just my fan glasses. You know, who knows what would happen, but I think that the, the changes they've made this year and their super strong pitching and their young pitching, uh, and it's the first full season of their new manager, Schilt, I think that they're going to win the division. And I think the Brewers are going to be the wild card, okay. and I think the Cubs are going to miss the playoffs this year, which tickles me to death. Oh, <laughs> right. Um, talk about a flame out after their big, you know, you know. It's funny because, as you know, as an Astros fan, we don't have near the legacy of, of the Cardinals, and I just kind of want to stay competitive now. Like, I obviously want to win the World Series every year, but I just hope we stay competitive. So, yeah, you want, you know, you, you want the last week of the season to still matter. Um, you know, and like for, for me, the, the past three seasons, we've missed the playoffs, uh, but it's gone down to that last week, and the, that week has still been exciting. And, you know, I think that's, that's all you can truly ask for is for a team to not give up and to keep playing hard. And then if you know, hopefully you make the playoffs. But at least it was a fun season, right? Um, so speaking of which, let's go to the league where they have the DH, the American League. Well, we also we forgot uh, Dodgers National <laughs> League West. We didn't forget. Uh, just yeah, I mean the National League West is kind of the way I see the American League Central. It's a one-team race right now, and then maybe somebody else might surprise a little bit. But I think the Dodgers all the way. All right, let's check out the AL then. All right, AL East. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, my second least favorite team in the world, the Red Sox, <laughs> to win the division. Probably like 103 wins. I think it's going to be another 100-win okay. season for them. Uh, then I'm going to say the Yankees will be the wild card again with another 100 wins as well. I think, you know, like 101 for the Yankees. I think there'll be three 100-win teams in baseball, and it will be the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Astros. Okay, so then oh, the AL Central, we can. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, they're really, 
No, I mean, there really uh, is nobody else. Talk about the twins might be really good this year. Um, and I'm just always kind of like, I, I yeah. forget Minnesota even has a team. Um, even though they, they beat the Cardinals in 87. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, it's just like, I, I, I forget half the teams in the, in the central. I think, you know, the White Sox aren't good. The Royals aren't good. Uh, who's the other team in the central? I can't even, you know, it's like, yeah, the Tigers. Right. Yeah, uh, the yeah. Tigers. So, I mean, but... just the, the Cleveland is just yeah. perennial, you know, in the, in the playoffs just because no one is strong. Uh, and then AL West, okay. you know, hundred. I'm saying a hundred and two win Astros. Um, and then just for a crazy pick out of a hat, I'm going to pick the Angels for second wild card, uh, only because it feels like Mike Trout has to at some point get some more playoff games. And uh, yeah, like has he? I mean, I don't I even know has he played in the playoffs they've before? been a wild card once. Uh, and I, so I think he has like maybe okay. one playoff game. And it's crazy if you you have this guy who people are saying is is the player of a generation and just no one really knows much about him because he's not playing on a national stage yeah, now he's the subjects of some tampering all right so coming to the world series you have uh i know you picked the cardinals to win yep and uh cardinals astros world series uh it's been what we've been building towards for a long time it's like the culmination uh, of our relationship yeah exactly it feels like we'll each have you know we'll be flying all over the country trying to get the games um, Absolutely. which you'll want me there because Every Cardinals game I've been to for the past six years, the Cardinals have lost. Okay. So you will want me at every – like you'll be paying for me to like have a seat <laughs> in Houston. I'm like the cooler of that William H. Macy movie. That's yeah. me for the Cardinals. I'm so. just going to text J- A.J. Hinch. I got it in the bag, dude. Just let me – PayPal me some money. <laughs> well, right. Before we kind of move on, and I definitely want to have you back like periodically through the season, um, but – you know, this past week we had a great interview with the general manager of the Sugarland Skeeters, which is an Atlantic League team in the indie thing. And I wanted to go over – I don't know if you saw the story. The MLB and the Atlantic League are basically partnering up to test some new rules. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. First of all, I don't understand why uh, Major League Baseball – the commissioner is trying so hard to change rules. Baseball is the one sport where legacy matters most. Right. Like we are crazy about numbers. We care about, you know, at bats and career totals and, you know, what a person's batting average was in 1937. You well, know what hell, I mean? They, Other even, sports, even when they come up with new stats, they go back and retro calculate like the idea that Babe Ruth has the highest war. Well, they didn't have war. You right, know, like that. You're right. Yeah. We're obsessed. Like we're obsessed about it, and it's one of the things that's great about baseball. And yet they're wanting to change the sport to make it more exciting for a younger audience or things like that. Um, and it's odd to me because for 162 games, a lot of these stadiums are selling out almost every game. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, is it uh, to me? And, and as we've discussed in the past, I think if they want to keep people in, interested in baseball there can't be tanking anymore i think that's probably doing more damage to baseball than like not having a pitch clock or right. not allowing a pitch or you know a manager to change pitchers very often you know what i mean um so yeah what, what were some of those rule changes okay, that so they're, they're looking to do a couple of them I, I had less of an issue with the sort of radar enforced or assisted strike zone right like I, i'm I had, fine with that actually and <laughs> fine with that but some of them are counterintuitive, one of which you know, I, I actually don't know how I feel about the bigger base, but taking the base from 15 inches to 18, 
Yeah, um, I, uh, I don't know. Who cares? That's one of those. Yeah. Like, I don't mind. You know, that way they can just be closer to us when they get the call wrong. I don't know. Um, but and it also seems counterintuitive because that's going to help offense. And the point is that offense slows the game down. Like you can't have them both ways. Right. The other one, which I have a big problem with, is moving the mound back two inches. Yeah. The, the, the problem is, you know, and, and the mound was changed last time because Bob Gibson was such a dominant pitcher. Right, but they just went up and down. The yeah, they just went yeah. up and down. Taking it back is going to it, – it's going to make it easier to hit the ball. Yeah. And it's, it's like they want these games to have, you know – 25 to 14 you know they want these big high home run games i wouldn't be surprised if they start moving walls in to get home runs more you know what i mean and it's like i don't i don't understand when to me flawless pitching is the most beautiful thing about baseball right you know i mean it's a, a you know a complete game shutout a perfect game i mean like those things that's people that aren't even care about baseball suddenly tune in to watch a perfect game. Right. And if we continually try to make it easier for the batters and easier is in quotes, cause it'd still be hard to hit a, you know, 103 mile an hour fastball, no matter where it's coming from. Right. But it's like, I just don't understand. I, I, I don't understand why, why these are the things they're trying to do. Um, you know, the, the universal DH, which will happen one day, I'm becoming resigned to it. I understand, you know, how it will help careers um for some of these players i'll be fine with it when it happens i'll complain a while but i'll be fine with it yeah but some of these weird rule changes that they're trying to do uh, the 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 um intentional walk i think was ridiculous that they changed last year you know i don't know there's there's things that just i'm like what this was the problem really this is why you think kids aren't watching the game and the real problem is is you have too long a tv timeouts and that's the but yes. that's the thing they don't want to address and you know i think moving the mound back the other issue is if you've got guys that have been learning to throw a breaking ball at one distance that ball's not going to break and you're going to have more walks you're going to slow the game down even more i think that the game is in a good spot because with the right combination you still will get a 2 to nothing shutout and then the next night you might get your 12 to 10 game so yeah and and it's and you never know like there you'll have those games where you have two powerhouse pitchers and then they'll each give up twelve runs and you're like no one would have ever thought that was yeah. going to happen um, yeah. and you know if, if they want to change the mound it feels like something they should do in little league ball right now I, so I that agree. we know in twenty years the mound's different but they've they've come up this way and learned to pitch that way yeah I I cannot imagine what's going to happen to you know, Clayton Kershaw or Justin Verlander or or guys like that to all of a sudden tell them now you're going to be throwing two feet farther away. Yeah, and I mean, and these guys are already blowing their arms out, and you know now yeah. now pitchers are getting Tommy John like two seasons in. Yeah, you know it used to be that was like ten seasons in, and you got it to get another couple of years out of you. You know, well, and the proof, it, it's it's not going to be good. But the proof is in the pudding that the major leagues think it, that's a dumb idea because they're not doing it in the MILB; they're doing it in an independent league that they think nobody's going to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, th- I think that's that's a crazy rule change. Um, you know. I think they need to revisit the entire replay system. You know, they talk about slowing down a game. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird. I, I, you know, I, I definitely think that they're, that we do need instant replay, but the whole strange random rules of a, of a coach has to stand on the second step while someone else calls someone else. And then they have to, you know, then call, you know, I don't know. It's just, it ends up taking two or three minutes and then they, they uphold the play. You know, I don't know. That's, yeah, those um, are weird. Especially, you know, 
the Astros got hosed twice last year on what should have been super clear calls, but it seems like the way college football does it where they're always constantly replaying and they have an official – like the idea that it's up to the manager to get the game right, it should be up to the game to get the game yeah. right. And by having basically every play under review seems like there's enough time to see a five-second replay and go, hey, hold the action for a second. We got to look at that again. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's even like the weird thing is, you know, when you're watching it at home and the, uh, you know, ESPN, they'll have they'll replay it in like three seconds. They're like, oh yeah, it looks like he was safe, yeah. and you still sit there for three minutes as like the guys in New York are like, what are they looking at? What, yeah. What's going on? Like, just let Alex ESPN Rodriguez make the make the check make the call for us. Yeah, 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 it's like I don't know that those things. The I hate when uh, batters have to step out of the batter's box and fix their gloves between each and every pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, my, like that's that's ridiculous. I get the gamesmanship that happens a little bit between pitchers and batters, but it's I mean, there there are players on the Cardinals that would get out and just like unhook the Velcro on each batting glove, put it back in, you know, get in, take six or seven swings, and then the next pitch. And you're like, let's go already. Come yeah, on. that's a Jose Altuve move too, man. It's you know, but that guy's it, playing like he's half a man, so he gets the advantage. <laughs> Right, I'm sure the gloves don't fit. So <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he's yeah. got small, and he needs he needs Trump size gloves. They probably make those, but you're right. So listen, man, can we talk to you again uh, right before the All Star break? Oh, 100. percent right. uh, you know, and we'll see we'll see how close I am on my picks. We will, we will, well, brother. Thank you so much for joining. Let's get to. All right, thanks for having me on, brother, right, man. And now we're going to go out to Larry Paul, and you can find him on Twitter. Well, again, we'll have his Twitter handle in the description of the podcast. But Larry's an engineer, but he's also just a huge baseball fan and honestly one of the most educated fans that I've had out there. And and I've, I've caught up with him on Twitter. I love following him because he really does a good job of kind of taking on this knee-jerk reaction, panic button level of baseball fan and trying to really encourage people to stay focused. So we're very excited to welcome Larry to the show. Hey, thank you, James. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, I think it's always important to let everybody know what their biases are. So can you please let everybody know what Major League Baseball team gives you life and breaks your heart? All right. So I am a diehard Houston Astros fan. So I know and I know your show is is not Astrocentric, but Talking to me, it's going to be a little Astro-centric from time to time. I'll do my best not to let too much of my Astros love get, uh, come into t- all of our conversation. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely <clears throat> something that uh, me and my brother have to bridge the gap to. But it is our, you know, it is the lens in which we view the MLB, and so um, I think that from time to time it'll go. So I know, like, just from following you on Twitter, and we will put your Twitter in our description of this episode so people can follow you, but. You're about as educated a baseball fan as I've as I've, as I've encountered. Um, how long have you just really, you know, when did you start to love the game? So that's a that's a great question, James. So I'm 52 years old, and I don't really remember a time I didn't love the game. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, was a huge Milwaukee Brewer fan. The Brewers weren't that good most of my childhood life, but I grew up listening to Bob Euchre. Oh, so, wow. so if you can imagine the stories I heard as a child, uh, because Bob Euchre is pretty much the same as he's always been. He, he loves to tell stories. 
So I think I was spoiled um, at, a, at a young age listening to baseball on the radio and and getting to listen to Bob Uecker. And, you know, I grew up with uh, Robin Yant and Paul Molitor. And uh, one of the things that was great for me when when my son was born in 1995, he grew up having Jeff Bagwell and Kurt Biggio, right? Um, yeah, Craig Biggio, right? And he had that same dynamic of players that played for forever for those franchises. Now, obviously, Malter went on to play, you know, end of his career a few other places. But I, I had two players that I, I could grow up with that that were you know core players to the Brewers for a long, long time. And so I, I've loved baseball from as long as I could, as long as I could walk, talk, and play. One of my best friends at the time, growing up, was a great baseball player. I was a terrible baseball player, <laughs> um, but I think that's and that kind of and but growing up in that environment, I grew up to love the game and talking about the game, and now I get to write about the game, right? And so, uh, I'm an engineer by uh, schooling, and I take I tend to take a very analytical approach to the game. As if you read my articles, that you can get links through Twitter. Uh, they they tend to have. I mean, I, I think I joke. Every article I write has a table in it and has stats. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, know. yeah. You're right. But you're right. Yeah, like you said, you are an analytical guy. Um, and this is our MLB prediction episode. So uh, let's start with the National League, the National League East. Who do you who do you have? So let's start with the heart of just the vision first. Absolutely. Right? Let's jump into it. So, okay, the National League East, you, you basically have four teams and you get to pick your team. So of all the teams this off season that have tried to go for it, I think you can make an argument that at least two of them, the Nationals and Phillies, have been going for it the hardest. Uh, the Mets made a bunch of moves, right? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not clear how those will play out, but the Mets have good starting pitching. And as long as you have good starting pitching, you're, you're in it. And the Braves, I think the Braves are going to have the season that the 2000, the 2016 Astros have. Does that make sense? They're like, sure. They were, they were better than they were really thought they would be last year. And I think they'll take a step back. So this decision comes down to, to the nationals and the Phillies and, I, I'm going to give the slight lean to the Nationals. Wow. Okay. I, I don't. I don't. I, I'm not real sure. And I really. I think Bryce Harper may have a huge year. Um. I I think the Phillies pitching is. I mean, I think it's good, but I. I, I think they're an injury or two away from it being pretty mediocre. So, uh, I'm I'm going to go with the Nationals. Okay. Mainly because of their pitching. Okay, let's move over to the central. So in the central, you've got teams that are that are all like bunched together as well. I think top to bottom, that division is 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 the the most balanced. You had the Reds actually trying trying this summer uh, or this this off season in the winter. So I I am going to go with the Cubs. I think the Cubs are going to be better than they were last year. I think the Cubs are going to surprise people. How good they are! I think some of the players that had down years in 2018 are going to have really good years. Chris Bryant may be the MVP again, and um, 
and it's not because I visited Wrigley Field last year. I just think the <laughs> I think the Cubs are going to be the Cubs, and we're all going to be shocked how good they are. Okay, and this this next one's easy. Um, most the people- next one's easy. Let's let's just give it to the Dodgers. Okay. What I'm left with is how where does a wild card come from? Okay, so I think the Cardinals and are going to be a wild card team, and and I'm not a Cardinal fan. Although I lived there for one summer, uh, and I'll go ahead and say the Phillies are the other uh, the other wild card team. Okay, now let's go to the American League. Now the American League East—that's a tough division. Too. <laughs> Hell, I I think so, and and I don't want to pick the Yankees. I just don't, but I will. <laughs> right. I I think you can make an argument that they're. They're the second best team in baseball. I'm going to say the Yankees win. Okay. American League East. And the Indians win the Central. In a walk. Um, and of course, we know who's winning the American League West. The, the Houston Astros are going to win the American League West. How, how about your wild cards for the AL? Okay. So we got to go with the Red Sox as one wild card. And and I, I don't really know who's going to win the other. I think the the second wild card in American League is going to be down to the last day of the season. And let's go for Tampa, Tampa Bay to win the wild card just because I really want Tampa Bay fans to have something nice. So let's 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 have the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay fans we'll give them the second wild card. As long as and they... I think that a part of that's a reflection of how beat up I think the the Astros are going to beat the tar out of the American League West again like they did in 2017. Yeah, I think I think the A's regress. I think yeah. Um and and hopefully like I hope you're right with Tampa Bay cuz they play in a they play in an empty Costco. So here's hoping they have right. something to be positive about. All right, so who is your World Series matchup and uh Okay, the World Series matchup in the Battle Royale in the American League, it's going to be the Astros beating the Yankees. And it's I'm going to go with the Cubs beating, the I guess, the Nationals. Um, and and then, the, of course, the American League, uh, the, the, the World Series champion is your Houston Astros. So we're gonna get that'll be my we'll get an NL that'll Central. That'll be my prediction until until <laughs> until it's not my prediction. Until such time as it's not your prediction. <laughs> yeah, um, and just real quick, one more thing, because like I said, you're a very educated baseball fan, and I love that you're always sort of doing battle with Astros Twitter, which God bless them, that has to be the most reactive group of people. Yeah. But how do you encourage a baseball fan to to really put in perspective that it's a six month season? Yeah, so baseball, the worst team in baseball, I mean, a historically horrible team last year won 47 games. Right. Right? So, so I mean, you can't be much worse than the, the Orioles were than they were last year, and they won 47 games. So, typically, the worst team in baseball is going to win 50, and the best team in baseball is going to lose at least 50. I mean, you have to be – I mean – the 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 Red Sox lost fifty four last year, okay, and they were right. they were a historically great team. So, I, I, people uh, fans tend to approach baseball games like they're football games, and there's only you know sixteen games in a season. Like, no, every baseball game is like like twelve every football, football games game, or something. Yeah, every football game is like ten baseball games, right? So yeah. You, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. 
and and you know i i tend to weigh on the tools that you can come to through, through fan graphs and they'll, they'll kind of give you an idea of what your team really should be understand okay i know those projections are just projections or stat stat geek guys but 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 they, at least they give you a flavor of what your team really should be so the, those people are saying the Astros are going to win 96 games so that also means they're going to lose 66 games. Right. So if you if you lose one, you lose two, you lose five in a row. It's not like they're still they're still going to win, you know, 90 plus games. So so relax and and so number one, understand what your team really is as a baseball fan. Like and let, let's take it beyond Astros because we we both are have high expectations of Astros. But if you you're a fan of a team understand what you should be really looking forward to for that year. If your teams, if you're a Chicago White Sox fan, enjoy the young players that are coming up and, and look, look to look for their signs of success, right? Look, you know, enjoy, enjoy the signs of future success that, that could be showing up. Hey Larry, thanks so much for joining. Let's get to, so can we talk to you again uh, sometime around Memorial day? Let's do it. And finally, we've got a return visit from everybody's favorite high school baseball coach, at least mine, Stu Clary, the head coach of the Vacaville Bulldogs, is joining us again. So, Stu, how are we doing today? Great. How are you? We're good. We're good. The podcast is growing. I don't know if you noticed, but we went weekly. I, I have noticed that. I'm, I'm, it's one of my favorite uh, podcasts. What do you mean? I, well, I'm all over that. It's, it's, it shocked us. The response from the teams, the response from the audience has kind of made us decide to go. Um, to go. So, yeah, it's been pretty cool. So, tell us how, how's the team doing this year? Yeah, we're fortunate to be off to a good start and uh, just want to try and keep that rolling. Yeah, I've, I've been watching. And then I also noticed you guys shared. Uh, Goose, the alum, look, making people look stupid in spring training. Pretty cool. Man, that guy has one of the nastiest curveballs you'll ever see. I can't wait for uh, – looking forward to this summer and uh, all the good things he's going to do. So uh, you know what else, too, I noticed before we get going, you had talked a little bit about that A's access to you thing. thing. I saw another, another couple of teams, the Cardinals, are, are doing that, too. It looks like that might be a new trend that's coming. It's definitely a model, a business model that uh, is innovative and um, what do they say? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Right, right. Um, okay, so tonight your athlete, Oakland Athletics are going to be taking on the Seattle Mariners in Japan. Baseball season, best time of the year. It's awesome. Best time of the year. So let's talk about it a little bit. Let's start in the – other league the national league east who do you have coming out of the national league east you know the team i don't see that a lot of people are high on i don't see the mets i cannot see the mets <sighs> the phillies have improved themselves but i think i think we're going to see the braves on the top of that division at the end of the year i, I think the braves with their young talent okay cool Braves. now let's go the National League Central. I don't know why, but something tells me the Cardinals. I think that that's been the universal pick for all the people who run the podcast too. All right, uh, we're in Alice. Go. I mean, NL West. Does it even matter? Right. 
Like, it, well, I know this. I, I want the Giants to lose 162. They'll probably <laughs> luck into 50 wins or so. Um, I could see them getting as high as 58 wins. So let's eliminate them right off the get-go. The, the Padres have done a lot to improve themselves. Not happening. Not yet. I think we're still in a position where money talks and BS walks. I'm going with the Dodgers in the National League West. Okay, and who do your two wild cards? I think my wild cards are going to be the Phillies. And you know a team that I think is coming? The Brewers. Yeah, okay, cool. I love that pick. And so when it all shakes out, who's representing the National League in in the uh, in the World Series? Los Angeles. Okay, Dodgers again, three in a row. All right, so now let's go over to the American League, and we're going to start in the East so that way you and I can still be friends. Right. Uh, for a little while longer. Uh, let's go uh, AL East. Again, with the same reason I'm picking the the Dodgers. It's not going to be a big upset. I, I'm going to pick the Yankees. I, I I think with that power, I think their pitching is a little bit underrated. They're going to go out and buy whatever players they need during the course of the year. I'll take New York. Okay, and then – Again, the AL Central, do they even really have the, to sweat it? The, the, the Central, they, I mean, it's such a terrible division. I, I think the Indians are the least terrible team in the division. We'll <laughs> right. take Cleveland. I'm still hoping the Twins will 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 jump up, but I got to, you know, I'm with you. I'm picking the Indians. Okay, now we got the, uh, the American League West, the battle for our hearts. I'm going to surprise you. I have to take Houston. Okay. I believe Houston still has the best team. Um, I believe the A's could be knocking on the door. I don't, again, like similar to the Padres, I think there's still a, the wave of young talent isn't quite there yet. I think I have the Astros. Okay. And then, uh, so I'm assuming then the A's have one of your wild cards. And- the A's have one of my wild cards for sure. And I believe the other wild card has to be the Red Sox. Yeah. Okay, and so then who who's going to go to the dance? Oh, dude, the A's are going to beat the Dodgers in the World Series. There's no question about that. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, you know what? I love that. Uh, Stu, you're about to get on a bus to go to a game. We uh, we have a bus uh, in about – we have a team lunch in one hour, and we have a bus in about an hour and 25 minutes. And we're going to be going to the East Bay. We're about 45 minutes away. We're going to go to Orinda, California, and uh, play the Miramonte Matadors. Well, we definitely are wishing you best of luck. And we, like I said, we've been following you guys on Twitter, and it's cool to see you guys doing well. Well, we we appreciate the follow and the likes. We're pretty active on our Twitter page. We try to keep it informative and fun, and uh, I appreciate you calling, and uh, always a pleasure to hook up with you. We'll talk later on in the season, Stu, and tell the, uh, tell the guys we're rooting for them. Okay, so we heard from those three guys. Let's get back to the creators of Let's Get Two to see how the season's going to end in September and October. And we're back. Uh, and we're back. And we're back. <laughs> so we're back with Timothy and Scott doing our, for our very first time, uh, we're on the phone together. So um, I had the Yankees and the Astros in the ALCS, if we remember earlier. And um, I I believe that the Yankees will beat the Astros and make it to the World Series. I know you two guys don't like to hear that. Uh in the Nash- I'd like to bi- wish Scott the best of luck on, on <laughs> his last if, performance on the Let's Get Two podcast. But if it makes you feel better, 
in the NLCS with the Nationals and the Cardinals, I think this is where the Cardinals bullpen woes finally run out. And the Nationals beat the Cardinals in the NLCS. So I have the Yankees and the Nationals in the World Series. Okay, Yankees, Nationals. Tim? Wow, Nationals in the World Series after losing Bryce Harper. That would be actually that amazing. Is, yeah, That's the second great. worst thing to happen to Washington <laughs> in this decade. <laughs> uh, I have... Um, I, I have the Astros and the Cards, and this is up. AL is a total homer pick. Uh, I think it's going to be. I think with because my pick was the Astros and the Red Sox. I think you're going to see a Game Seven in the ALCS. I think it's going to be a. I need to go to the cardiologist afterward. <laughs> um, but then we're going to have a World Series that's going to be much like 2017, and and I think you have two young teams that just battle. And uh, I predict a game seven out of that one too with the with the Astros winning. Okay, um, I have the Astros and Cardinals as well. I think in, you know from the Astros side, I think the this Astros team feels a lot like the 2017 team, but better. I think that the if you go back to that 2017 year until the Verlander trade, the starting pitching was kind of dicey, um, and they just kind of out hit everybody. But I do think with uh, Verlander and Cole, and I do believe that um, I think Whitley. I think Whitley is a factor, you know, because obviously he's going to be called up. He's just not being called up now because of a year of control, and that's another thing we can talk about in a later episode. But yeah, I, I really like the idea of the of the Astros Cardinals with the Astros taking it in four. <laughs> oh, sweet! <laughs> I do think the uh, the Yankees will top the Nationals in the World Series. And I don't think it would be close. I do think that the strength of the American League versus the strength of the National League, again, is really, really glaring. So we have some new rules, and a couple of them I know have – I know one's been bugging you, Scott, and one's been bugging me. And so I, I hate to end it on a down note, but um, you know, I, I think some of the new rules that we've talked about, we had the interview with the Skeeters general manager – uh, last week and and some of them you know sound like things that are no brainers for us and I know you and I did a rapid fire as we went through them but I wasn't expecting the MLB to announce that they were going to go ahead and adopt some of them going into this year and next and so I know one was bugging you Scott did you want to bring it up and then I'll bring up the one that was bugging me yeah there's really two and I, I will say that that these rule changes that MLB has announced are still subject to ratification by all all of the clubs. But as of this time, MLB has said, hey, these are the things we're going to do. And the two that really stick with me, the active roger, roster provisions going up yeah. to um, going up from, from 25 to 26, uh, unless you're running a doubleheader, then it'll go from 26 to 27. But the 40-man roster for September is gone. So the, you will carry 28 players, and that's it. And for me, my complaint about that has been as a minor leaguer, Minor leaguers are already, by the, if you look at an hourly wage, most of them are getting paid less than minimum wage, even though Major League Baseball is making over tens of billions of dollars a year. Different discussion for a different time. But now you've And a discussion that, that we actually will be hearing from, for those of you listening to the podcast, we have several of the GMs that we've already kind of interviewed before the season starts that we haven't dropped their episodes yet, have really painted in great detail just how low that wage is for the fact that they get a day off a month. But dropping that roster from 40 to 28 players in September means there's 12 fewer spots that a minor leaguer could hope for, right? Uh, right. 
I just want to get seen in September. If there's some way I can just get added to the 40-man roster, stay healthy, have a decent year, then I can get seen at the big league level. And if this club doesn't like me, somebody else will. There's 12 fewer spots for people to hit that. I don't like that. Um, the other thing is the three batter minimum for pitchers. So that that'll you have completely eliminated the situational lefty out of out of all of baseball. It's gone. Every pitcher must face three batters. But I do believe that this will that this will severely impact not only the way that that managers set up their lineup uh, necessarily, where you don't want too many lefties batting behind each other. Now, what's the big deal? Uh, and also, I think it will. You know, it's, it, it severely impacts, you know, when you're pulling somebody out of the pen to face uh, the hitters. I don't think it'll matter so much anymore whether somebody's right-handed or left-handed, and I don't like that. To me, the big the big knock on not, on having the de- designated hitter in a league is that, well, you've taken one decision away from a manager. Like, the, the joke is, right, all an AL manager has to do is fill out a lineup card, and then he can take a nap for three hours. I think that's obviously simplistic, but... I do think this three batter minimum takes one more bullet out of a manager's gun. And my hope is that what they're going to do is they are maybe going to say that's a rule that only exists for the regular season, but that in the playoffs, maybe they'll sort of back that up. I cannot imagine, I can't imagine the players union being okay with, like you said, putting the Tony sips of the world out of a job. The rule that's been bugging me and I, I would, definitely think Tim has an opinion on it too. I don't like, I I don't mind one trade deadline. I don't like it July 31st. I think, I think there's this artificial desire to keep clubs believing that they're competitive longer than they think they are. And I think it's misguided. I think it's unfair to the fan bases because lots of teams, as we know, will trade high priced talent to contenders to stock minor league systems with prospects. And that's going to happen a lot less now if the only trade deadline's truly in July 31st. I think if they were going to do that, then they should split the dis- difference and make it August 15th. Yeah. Where you can make a real assessment because I don't see how that's fair to the players that, you know, might have might have a chance to go win a World Series but can't get traded because they're on a club that looks like they're going to be about 500, but you're afraid to pull a trigger. Versus, um, and then also unfair to the minor league talent that would, like you were saying, is sort of an extension of the 40 man roster thing that would have been elevated and given a chance in the show to see if they can play or not. Yeah, the and 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 this is also coming from the perspective that, that if there was only one trade deadline and it was July 31st, we're not winning a world series in 2017. <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see how aggressive GMs are now with yeah. pulling the trigger. Because now they don't have that 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 kind of shuffle your feet time. I actually think the fact that they've implemented some of these rules that were negotiated by the players' union and Major League Baseball, it does at least tell me that maybe there's hope that they're going to recognize recognize what's going on, and we might be able to avoid. I, I'm st- I feel more confident that we can avoid a work stoppage that maybe I did a week ago. Um, I don't like obviously it works pop up. It doesn't affect our show because our show is mostly centered on the level of baseball that won't be stopped. But um, I, I, I at least feel like it's possible. I think that players need to realize that with analytics, it doesn't make smart money to pay um, guys in their mid thirties master contracts. 
But I think also Major League Baseball should recognize and maybe letting guys go to arbitration earlier because, you know, it is ridiculous that Blake Snell as a Cy Young Award winner is not even making a million dollars a year. So hopefully it'll mean that they're going to figure out some compromises early and realize that, you know, Scott, you and I are definitely old enough to remember the 94 strike that almost killed the game. Absolutely. And I and I don't know if it if if the game can survive the same way with another work stoppage. So hopefully this means they're going to work through it. Yeah, there's not a Cal Ripken waiting in the wings to save it this time around. No, and there's not a a home a Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, although then they end up nearly killing the game again by being juiced. But that's all. That's <laughs> all different ball game. <laughs> my my favorite part of Ken Burns' baseball documentary is the interviews with Buck O'Neill, uh, you know, the famous former Kansas City Monarch. And he would talk about how, like, I would be walking around and people would tell me baseball was was dead and I'd hear a crack like I'd never heard a crack before and it was Babe Ruth. And then they would tell me it was dead again and then I would hear a crack, like, crack, like, and it was Bo Jackson. And he was talking about there's always going to be somebody that's going to save the game. And I think I think that's a good, positive thing to end on. Completely agree. Let them keep, let them keep tweaking the rules around the game. Just don't change the way the game's played. Who's trending? For our Who's Trending this segment, as we wrap the show up, we're going to keep it simple and we're going to remind you again to follow Benjamin Hill. Again, his Twitter handle will be put into the description of this podcast. He's going to be all over minor league baseball this season, so maybe you'll link up with him and maybe you'll get a chance to be his designated eater. Next week, we'll be back with another another packed episode Scott's going to come on and talk about some of the cool other identities that the minor league baseball teams will be playing as this year. My brother Tim will be back with some more things my dad hates about baseball. And we're going to be joined by the general manager of the San Antonio Missions. And we're going to, he's going to talk about what it was like to go from AA to AAA and also change affiliates. So they become the AAA team for the Milwaukee Brewers. I want to thank Michael Hoffer and Grace Usselman for the music again. And until next week, let's get to it.